0: Hello everyone, I am Mariah Parsons, I'm your host. If you are new to Learn to Listen, welcome, and if you are a regular listener, thank you. Learn to Listen is a mental health and wellness podcast Designed to encourage vulnerability in storytelling and to empower through empathy. If you like the show, please, please, please go subscribe on your favorite listening platform. I also have built out our social media. Um, so we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, the whole, you know, every channel, omni channel experience, wherever you like to find your content best, it's there for you. But first, I have a little preview of what is in store for this specific episode.
1: I mean, I don't want to say if I could do it all over again,
0: Mm -hmm. but if I
1: could share something from my experience that would help a 17-year-old that's listening to this, it would be to test the waters in multiple areas, to not be afraid to try certain things, but also understand what that doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have to go start sharing your life totally publicly on social media it doesn't mean you have to go skydiving or something so far out of your comfort zone that it gives you anxiety what that means is you just get to try something a little bit scary
0: that was our guest for this week Corey camp He's is a phenomenal human being and i hope that just from that little clip you could tell how great this episode is going to be but before we dive into the episode let me tell you a little bit about Corey. you'll hear even within the first 30 seconds my typical go for podcasting is to ask someone to intro themselves and he just has a really cool perspective on that so i wanted to honor that and only really specify for his intro that he is an expert in helping people, especially athletes, find their flow state. And so he really takes personal development and lifestyle training, and he teaches how other people can be successful in it, similar to physically training your body. He instead trains your mind. In this episode, we talk about The struggle of labeling yourself and trying to define yourself, whether, you know, it's in an intro or it's on social media. We talk about content creation and Corey's journey through that because Corey is an expert in lifestyle and personal development training. We'll talk about how he advises people to make that an easy and sustainable change in their life. And that has to do with flow state psychology, intermediately challenging yourself, and imposter syndrome. So there's so much in this episode, but let's get it started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Learn to Listen. Today, we are joined by Corey. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you on. Our listeners, it would be great if you could give them an intro all about you, um, and I just want to preface it with saying your energy is incredible. So I'm so happy and I really appreciate you being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me. First and foremost, I'm stoked to be here and I appreciate the compliment too. So I'm just receiving that. Uh, I always, I, hesitate, I don't want to say I hesitate with, with intros because a lot of what I've spent the past few years deconstructing was I, who I am as a person. What is my identity? What's the value I bring to this world? So I always struggle to put it into just one or two words or a label or just be like, I'm a coach, I'm a podcaster. Yes, I do those things, but that's not who I am. So I would say to to answer your question at my core, I'm a conscious connector. I'm a creator. I love bringing people together and I love alliteration, hence Corey Camp and all the (laughs) C words that I just threw out there. Um, And that shows up through a ton of different things, mainly through my main venture right now, which is Forever Athlete, the company that I founded. The book that I just wrote, the podcast that I host, the coaching that I do, and the events that I throw. So it's very intentional to, that's how I want to be and who I am. And then I just express that in some different ways throughout my life.
0: Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that perspective. And I uh, I really appreciate you be, being willing to share about that um, because I think I fall into the trap of like, oh, intro, like how the hell do I summarize everything I've done? And I don't think it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people try to do that and it's like something that will stress you out of like mm-hmm. trying to capitalize like who you are as a person and like your, you know, your elevator pitch. And it's, it's so hard to really capitalize on that. So I'm, I mean, we're like 30 seconds in and I'm already going to take that with me. So <laughs> thanks.
1: <laughs> uh, I feel like we're such abundant beings uh, as humans that I, I actually journal on this quite often of like the, the catch of social media is that we have 15 seconds or 30 seconds if you're really good at creating content to <laughs> give off a message and show people who you are. But even that is just quite literally trying to fit you in this box of a profile grid, or maybe it's a rectangle if you're on TikTok, whatever it looks <laughs> like. But we're so much more than that. So, how could we ever? take our entire entity and our entire message and who we are and what we bring to this world and put it into 15 seconds. You can't. So you might as well have fun with the 15 seconds or seven seconds, whatever it is that you're creating. That's how I look at it. But that's Mm -hmm. also something that's top of mind for me as well, is I want to live life outside of this box that society and social media is always constantly trying to put us in. Even like your bio, just putting mm-hmm. that in, I had a business coach two years ago that was like, "Your bio has to be exactly what you do." I was like, "This is the hardest exercise I've ever done in my life."
0: <laughs> You're like, this is the challenge. This is the one. This is the one that stops me in my tracks, and I like cannot yep. move forward from.
1: Shut down. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. Game over.
0: <laughs> that's no. I um, I uh, have you, like LinkedIn. I feel like I've seen it more of like people being like like energizer or like coffee enthusiast or something that's a little bit more to your personality. And I feel like that really hasn't made the transition into other social medias, like maybe LinkedIn a little bit, but it is interesting. Like you get, I don't know, whatever it is, like 50 or um mm-hmm. like 150 characters to just like define what you do. And it's so, yeah, it is so difficult to like think outside of the box because you're trying to like distinguish yourself as being unique, but then you're also trying to put yourself in these categories that you think the people that are going to find your profile are going to resonate with. So it's like a weird dichotomy within it.
1: A thousand percent. I mean, I, I need people to land on my page and very quickly understand what I'm about, what forever athlete is about and what I do and all like the services that I offer as a lifestyle performance coach. And what does that even mean? Oftentimes, but I'm like, that's the easiest way to put it because I focus a lot on, I'm a firm believer that two things scale for us as human beings when we're faced with stressful situations. You have our our psychology, the way that our brain thinks. And then we have our physiology, the way that our body operates. If we can learn to train both of those two things, then we can really become this ultimate performance person, human being in all of these different areas. And that helps us be better in relationships. It helps us be better at work. It helps us be better in the gym or on the field, wherever that may be. And it's so tough to, like I said, I would definitely went over my 150 character limit and <laughs> trying to explain all the different ways that it shows up. So instead, I just say, I help people find flow and flow is that in the zone state when our psychology and our physiology align and we're just locked in on that task at hand.
0: Yeah. Even like that tag, like that tagline of you help people find their flow, like that gets the message across that you need to get across. Like I understood exactly what you meant when you say that, but it's a, like, it's a phrase that encompasses, I guess, Mm -hmm. way more of what goes into it.
1: Oh, a thousand percent. It's mm-hmm. it's tricky because it's tricky from a sales perspective because people hear flow they're like, okay, cool, I understand what it is, but they don't totally understand where they need it or why mm-hmm. they might need it <laughs> in right. their life. So that's been something that has been an up and down challenge, ironically, for me in going on two years of business and full-time content creation is getting that message off in a way that is relatable, but also inspires people to go through with a call to action of some sort.
0: Yeah. So walk me through, cause we, I wanted to talk about the content creation. Yeah. Um, and you have your own business. So like, where did you get started with that? And then like, how did you, I guess, create your, like your tagline, like you mentioned the sales, um, like, aspect of it. How did you find that balance?
1: Mm, that's a great question. So, I'll take you back a little bit um, and we can go the medium version of the story. So, <laughs>
0: let's do it. 250 characters this time. Yeah,
1: perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to count them down. Can we get 250 words. <laughs> we'll go there. Yeah,
0: yeah I'll, I'll so, have it.
1: <laughs> perfect. Um, so, a lot of my background for the longest time in my life, I identified as a swimmer. That was who I was, that was where a lot of my value was derived. And that's what I was really, really, really good at until I wasn't anymore until my college career ended my senior year. Last race was slower than I was my junior year of high school. Felt like my world came crashing down. Backup plan was always to go to physical therapy school. Compound that last race being what it was two weeks later, rejection letter after rejection letter, just coming in from every single PT school that I applied for. And I I can't win. I, I didn't know what was which way was up, which way to go. I turned to a lot of different things, um, alcohol being the main uh, substance that I started to abuse and really, really dive into in hopes to drown out my problems because I found, well, at least when I have a fifth of alcohol in me, I don't really feel anything. So I don't feel like I'm further from where I want to be. I'm just feeling pretty crappy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. going to
1: sit in that and not the best and healthiest way. So, after a little while of doing that, I recognized okay, well, I can't sit in this forever. Right. Unfortunately, the alcohol stuff still lingered for quite some time, but was able to get a sales job. And ironically, I chose that job because it was the highest paying job that I was <laughs> offered out of school. And the, I figured, you know, if the first metric of success I had was going through with that career path that I had always had planned and it didn't work out. Then the second metric of success I had was I need to be making money. And I wanted to be the first of my teammates to make six figures. Why? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that was just the competitive nature in me. I was like, I can't wait to brag to all my teammates about how <laughs> good I'm doing. And I'm doing so awesome in my life that I'm making six figures in there in grad school and they're doing whatever. And I almost started feeding myself this lie of, well, grad school's stupid anyway. I don't need that. I can go do whatever I want to do without grad school. And it took me the longest time to actually take ownership of my experience, my story, and then make a change for the better. And that started when I left that sales job. I was refinancing mortgages, super sexy job
0: <laughs> yeah it Incredible. was great
1: I was on a headset like this all the time talking <laughs> with people all over the country <laughs> and I decided to leave that job with no real plan other than a family that I used to teach and coach in swimming had reached out while I was there and asked if I was around in the area to teach swim lessons to their kids I said yeah sure like why not? I only have yeah. one free day. this job is working me six days a week. Yeah I'll, I'll volunteer my Sundays to go coach them. So I would drive 45 minutes each way, go coach them. Before I knew it, I had a whole day, my whole Sunday was filled with private swim lessons. and I just so happened to be in an affluent country club. So in that whole day of teaching private swim lessons, I was making about the same that I was making six days a week working this other job. I said, screw that job. I'm gonna go. Swim coach, I don't care for the first time. I didn't care what the outward perception of my mm. job title was, which was very interesting because growing up in the DC area, that oftentimes is the make or break of some. Oh,
0: many- hell yeah. hmm So many
1: people, they I can't tell you the amount of girls that I talked to at a bar, and then they found out that I was a swim coach and they were like <laughs> they seen <laughs> nice to meet you. Like, I'm going to go find a consultant. I'm going to go find someone that works for Deloitte or whatever other company. I was like, you didn't even give me a chance to show you who I actually am. Yeah. Quick perception.
0: Odds Uh, are too, they'd probably be better off as well. Yeah. I find, I actually had that conversation with a very close friend who just moved to New York and she was like, why does it matter? Why does your job title matter so much? And I was like, it, it's the culture. I don't know it's, what to tell it's you. It's <laughs> everything
1: on the East Coast. Yeah. It literally is everything. People decide uh, if that door is going to be open or closed just based off of that little piece of information. And that's
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the things that I would love to change with yes. conversations like this. So I, I became a swim coach and to supplement that, I ended up becoming a lifeguard as well. And that was the biggest struggle for me because at 23 years old with a four-year college degree, sitting in a lifeguard chair, watching old people swim back and forth <laughs> was, excuse my language, fucking miserable. Uh, right, especially yeah. when I came from a place where I was so used to like being so so fast in the pool going back and forth. I also really learned no one gives a shit about how fast I was in a pool. <laughs> It's like the worst skill to be good at. I can't really say, "Hey, pause this for a second. Go watch, let's go watch me swim laps. I promise I'm really good at it. Probably better than most people you've seen." No one no one really cares, which was like I really, nice.
0: yeah. yeah,
1: it was such a humbling experience, mm-hmm. which I needed honestly at that point in time because my yeah. ego was inflated. I wasn't living a life that I was in alignment with what I wanted to go do. So over time became their swim coach, became the full-time swim coach, started a year-round swim program at that same country club, became an assistant fitness director there, got certified in personal training. Before I knew it, I blinked and I went from like entry-level sales job to running a team of 45 people that reported to me as an assistant fitness director within a year, a year and a half of quitting. I was like, this is nuts how did we get yeah. here <laughs> and <laughs> You're I was like so, wait a minute <laughs> yeah it was so interesting trying to create buy-in of i mean i had employees that were double and triple my age that were reporting into me and that was an interesting dynamic but we made it work and i learned a ton in that process and then as most people experienced in 2020 this thing came around and like shut the world down that finally got me to think of, I want to create something bigger than just fitness and bigger than swimming. I looked at what did swimming impact on my life and making me who I was up until that point in time. And I looked at what was the role that fitness played in my life. And I, what I really realized was I worked with a a lot of really great people while I was at that club. And a lot of my clientele the ones that were successful, they were doing more than just the one hour or the two hours that they saw me as a personal trainer. They were doing a whole bunch of other habits and lifestyle tweaks outside of that. Mm. I said, I want to create a program that allows people to really be successful at making a change. I don't want to just be another online trainer that says, hey, here you go. Here's your five workouts of the week. Give me a text if you like don't understand anything and we'll get you through right. it." I wanted to provide people the programming to make it super simple to just walk in, just like I looked back at what made me a successful swimmer. I could just walk into the pool deck. The practice was already made. I had a coach that I was accountable to. I knew the clear objectives of where I wanted to go and how to get there. I was like, what if we make lifestyle that easy? What if we made personal development that easy? And what if we made it super relatable to the athlete? So I also looked at my story up to that point. I was like, this is really freaking hard to get here. There's got to be other people. And the more research I did, the more I realized so many other athletes are going through mental health crises and struggles post-sport with that transition period, figuring out who they are. So I created this 10-week program that I call More Than Movement. And what it really was and is to this day now is personal development meets movement. So- People will go through a workout, then there'll be a, a company like 10 minute, five, 10 minute videos, super simple, super short and sweet, right to the point of here's something you can work on today. Here's the mm. exercise. Here's how you go do it. And it's just these little tweaks. So that's what I found. That's how we got here. That's where Forever Athletes started. And then the more I got into the online coaching space, the more I realized The online coaching space is the wild freaking West. So (laughs) many people, there's so many people out here that have no idea what they're doing. They just have a large audience on Mm -hmm. social media and therefore they call themselves a coach and charge an absorbent amount of money. So I wanted to create something where it's an impactful experience. It's not taking advantage of any. Population, any niche, any ideal client, whatever business lingo you want to throw around, but it's really meeting them where they're at, and it's realistic for them. It it makes sense. It's not asking a twenty two year old to invest thirty thousand dollars (laughs) to like deal with their depression. No, it's it's asking a twenty three year old. Hey, trust me, a few hundred bucks will get you through it. And by the way, you'll be set up with a community of people as well that you can open and honestly talk to about where you're currently at. And I would, I would love to do it for totally for free. Unfortunately, I've learned like I'm running a business, so I need to make
0: some sort of money
1: and I have some sort of overhead, but you know, that's, I want to be as transparent as possible with why pricing is the way that it is, what they actually get with it. I don't know what your experience is in the, in the coaching world, the amount of times I've been on a coaching sales call and they use all these psychological
0: like jargon voodoo, yeah
1: yeah all this voodoo magic stuff where before you know it you've pulled out your credit card and you're signing up for something that's ten thousand dollars and you're, I don't I don't have ten thousand dollars what am I doing yeah. they're like imagine who you would be if you don't, don't <laughs> yeah this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like I don't want to be that guy I don't want sale sales to me is just an exchange of energy. It should feel totally natural and should flow. I don't want anyone that works with me to ever have buyer's remorse. So I don't, and that doesn't happen because I don't trick someone into being like, all right, yeah, cool. So pull out that credit card and we're going to do this right now before you talk to your wife or your significant other or whoever, or your parents, just Mm -hmm. do it. You won't regret it. That type of thing. So I know we went off a little bit of a tangent there, but that's (laughs) all over the place.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, like, okay. I have to say, I admire that transparency because I mean, I work for my job currently in marketing, but that's very close to sales. Like I, I see our sales process and that transparency, I think is what is hopefully like the newer wave of sales. And just from what I've seen, it's like, you have to be transparent because the moment that you start relying on like the, oh the image or the person that you'll become after this program there's that's just like um like jargon or that's the image that you're selling instead of like the product or the program it should speak for itself and from what i've seen from you and forever athlete is that the program speaks for itself and so i really admire one that transparency and that you're willing to walk me through every single step of the way. Cause there's so much that I want to dive into, um, with all of that. And so I, I, I really liked how you kind of pitched like the, um, the physical movement and the per- per- personal development, because I think where we in, and we meaning the athletic community in any level fall short is recognizing how, intricate or how, uh, synergistic, how connected like the mind and the body really are. And so mm. I, I think, I don't know exactly if it's like the administrative level, the coaching level, the athlete, or the athlete level where there needs to be better connection about the importance of, if your mind is really healthy, you're, you're flourishing in that aspect of your life. You're happy. Your mental health is you're taking care of yourself your physicality is going to echo that. And in the same way that if you're not taking care of your mind and your mental health, then your physicality, your performance will decrease. And so like, I've seen that in my personal life, I've seen that with friends, strangers in the athletic community, like um, experts and influencers and uh, those who research, you know, these connections. And so I think what, what I found, um, you and forever athlete, it was that picture or like that you're painting that, um, connection between the two of them, which I love.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's, it's tough because it's in some ways it's a foreign language, right? It's a foreign concept that connection isn't at the forefront of everyone's mind. And that's what made me really get attracted to it in the first place. Cause I looked at, I realize personal development in the power and the role that it, it can play. Like self-help is a phenomenal concept as a mm-hmm. whole. I also speak on self-help can be bullshit if you don't actually take the help and, and, apply, it. <laughs> and apply it. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to get stuck in that hamster wheel of just reading book after book after book and never actually applying. You're just kind of, there's that comfortability in kind of faking yourself out of I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work. No, you're not. You're just, reading books Edu- and yeah, you're just consuming more information. Mm-hmm. More information oftentimes isn't the solution. It's taking that action and applying it. So I looked at, okay, I, I'm starting to understand these concepts. How do I put this in terms that everyone can understand? And when I mean by, when I'm saying everyone, I'm talking about primarily the athletic community, because that's my "Quote unquote," I don't want. I hate using the word target audience because it makes it like sound, niche. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the niche, it's the community yeah. and the family that I'm trying to build and mm-hmm. am building in this process. And I was like, "How do I meet them where they're at? How do how do we speak to one another?" And it's through those analogies that actually makes action and change possible, because we're taking these larger concepts. Like I'll use for example, I was talking with a a colleague of mine who is. In the space, we're talking about the psycho, psychophysiological window of tolerance of stress. If I hopped on social media and I said, hey, guys, I'm going to teach you today about the psycho <laughs> psychophysiological window of stress, I would get maybe two views and mm-hmm. they would just be the people that were so down that doom scroll that they didn't even <laughs> realize those were the words that came out of my mouth.
0: Yeah. So, just how by I, chance, <laughs> based yeah, up on upon bonnet.
1: <laughs> how do I take that concept, which is a totally profound concept? It's game, it's life changing. If you can understand where your window of tolerance for stress lies from a physio- physical and mental state, there's a sweet spot that, that we can find, and that's where flow exists. How do we find that sweet spot? I would break it down in a much more relatable terms to the athlete. And I'd say, "Hey, look, how many times have you guys gone to a game and you were playing the number one seed and you're the worst team in the country? You probably struggled to get excited for that game. You knew you <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> get your butt kicked, right? Uh-huh. That's what happens when you don't. The level of challenge isn't great enough or is too great for where you're currently at. We got to meet you more where you're at. Otherwise, things go over your head.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: On the flip side." It's like, how many of you guys have played you've been the number one team and you've played that team that just stinks? You probably are just like, eh, like, whatever. This this game doesn't really do it for me either. Again, we want to find that sweet spot. So I'm using that same concept that I'm teaching people. I'm using that to find the language of which I want to communicate that to people as well. That's been the biggest game changer for me. My content is when I first started this company. I tried to create content in a way that really showed that I knew more than a lot of other coaches and that's totally missed the mark because right. I was making content for other coaches to mm. show them because I, I had something that I wanted to prove to them that I belonged in this space in this conversation where things started to really shift for me as I started to create with the consumer in mind with the customer in mind. And I didn't give a shit about what my peers thought in the coaching space. Who cares if they, if my content says that I know more than them or don't know more of them. It doesn't matter if I can't talk to the person that I'm trying to talk to.
0: Right, yeah, you need that like relatable piece in that it won't land with someone. If you're like, if you are so specialized in your language Yep. The, the normal person, you know, like the, the athlete that's never heard of any of this, they're just going to like, okay, I don't care. Like, I don't have the time in my day to, yeah. <laughs> to like, look this up, take this, like to, to go out of the app or go out of, um, wherever you're finding the information and look it up because yeah, if the information is right there, that's way easier rather than having to go do it yourself. Um, and this reminds me, so I studied neuroscience in college. And so like, this is, you know, yeah. right up my alley. <laughs> um, and I'm, I, my professors would really be unhappy because I'm blanking on the name, but, uh, like the bell curve of where yep. you're like stress. It's, it's something yeah, I the, feel like with the inverted you theory. Yeah. Of yeah. Arousal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you, I forget who did the research, which, um, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure my professors don't listen to it. But, um, like that, when I saw that in a textbook, I immediately, I was, it was like one of those moments that just shifted my perspective because I'd been searching for like a reason or an explanation as like, why if my, like I, I when I, when I'm being coached, especially rowing is a weird sport. Cause it's like, you're, yeah. you know, you're being told throughout the whole race by the coxswain of what you're supposed to do but it's also like very internal so you're like you're beating yourself up and then there's also like the coaches right like you know the whole the whole 9 yards and so i found like any time that uh there was negative connotations or like negative feedback in how like coaches or anyone was trying to motivate me i would like absolutely shut down and i'd be like i am not motivated right now to for you because you're pissing me off, quite frankly. And like, you're not the one that's doing the physical labor. Um, and of course, like when you're in that moment, you're so physically exhausted, you're not your best. I'll acknowledge that. But when I saw that like curve, I also understood that like on the same end of things, like I need to be actively doing a lot of things, like whether that's in my personal life, my, uh, professional life, my, like any, any aspect I need to be challenging myself and not be like, I'll get bored quickly if I'm not doing a lot. So like I saw in my life that perfect, like happy medium in the middle. And I only saw that because I was studying it in a class. Right. So like how I, I, in that moment, I realized like, I was like, there's probably so many people in, inside and outside of athletics that are feeling the same thing as me. Like they're trying to find their own medium. And they're like, why do I get, if, I feel like I'm not my best when I'm not as motivated or challenged. But then I like swing to the other side, and I'm way, th- way too much stimulus. Then it's yeah. like, what the hell is going on? And that can be confusing. But when, at least for me, when you have those, um, like that physiological and that psychological explanation, it like all clicks into place.
1: Yeah, and the the two are intertwined. It it's so. <laughs> We could really go down the rabbit hole. I know. Now. I was no like, no going your, your background up. too. It's it. <laughs> like we can we can dive into it, but to spare the listeners, that us <laughs> nerding out of things in flow state psychology, we I look at it of the um, challenge skills balance, and it's this ratio and fine tuning that challenge skill ratio to meet in that middle of that inverted U, and that's where flow happens. But depending on where your current skill level is, it actually creates this really interesting flow channel across this chart. Mm. So if you had a left or an X and Y axis type deal and you had challenge on one side, skill on the other, you'd see this channel that goes across um, increasing in slope. And that's that window of tolerance that I was referring to. And where we can really nerd out on is the same thing happens with our heart rate, right? When our heart rate is super low, we're not likely to get the blood flowing and the oxygen and all the other stuff that we need to our body, to the right muscles to perform. On the flip side, if our heart rate is too high, it's not sustainable for long-term. A little side note about my backstory is I actually had a, a heart condition for two years of when I was competing and what my heart condition was, was it was called AV node reentry. So I had three cells on my AV node that would do this really cool thing where they would short circuit back up to my SA node without completing the full um, circuit, normal circuit of your heart electrical system there. And where it got really cool was because it developed this arrhythmia under periods of high stress, The one time they measured it was at 350 beats per minute. My blood pressure would drop. So when I was going through this experience, what I didn't realize, as much as obviously that sucked and it came with a ton of unknown and all of the fear of, okay, quite literally every time this happened, I thought, you know, this is it. Like I I can't get my heart rate to slow down. It's racing. I had to develop these skills and this hyper-awareness of – What are these external triggers and stressors that are going on in my life? How do I better manage them and be more proactive with it so that then I'm not quite literally putting my life at risk every time I step into the pool deck? And what do I do when I feel them coming on? And that's really that heightened awareness is what now I love to help educate other people on is we can find the things in your life that trigger you one way or the other. Certain things are going to get you super excited, or they might get you too excited. Mm-hmm. Certain things might shut you down. Like you just said, the negativity and the negative undertones of your and whoever's leading yeah. the boat, that's so normal. How do we get proactive with it though? Like, Do we have an open dialogue and conversation with the coach, with the leader of your boat and say, hey, look, when you do this, I want you to know this is how I typically respond. But would it be possible? Because we're on the same page here. We want to win. Like, Mm -hmm. that's pretty clear. That's the
0: goal. (laughs) Yeah. You know,
1: like, how do we get on the same page? And we can do that, like I said, in so many different environments, not exclusive just to your boat. It's in your relationships at work with your boss. If your boss constantly is doing something that triggers you, going in and having a conversation, be like, hey, if you're open to feedback, when you do X, I respond like, "Why? What would it look like to we? We want to be on the same page. We want to sell more products. We want to have a better marketing campaign. What would it look like to get on the same page? Would that be maybe you speaking your mind every week or every other week? And this true open door policy? That's the cool organizational psychology stuff that I can also dive into with nerd out on. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I was going to say. (laughs) You already know. I was like." we, we could, we very much could go down organizational psychs where psych, it's like, it's all my, um, I love it so much. Um, but for the sake of that, I will pause myself on that tangent because I want to ask like for that hyper awareness of your stressors, I acknowledge, like I was the same way I had, I broke my rib and that's what mm. really catalyzed like me being so hyper aware sometimes to the point where it was damaging of like overthinking, but when I was injured, that's when I really like tuned into, okay, what is my body doing? What is my body feeling? This makes me feel that way, blah, blah, blah. Kind of out of necessity because you Mm -hmm. needed to, and you know, for you as well Um, not to speak for you, but it sounds like it was very similar. And so I hope we get to the point and it sounds like your program helps athletes do this of, you don't need like a catastrophic or, um an injury or something bad to happen to become aware like you can you can have those steps as long as you're given those tools beforehand to then really um really be in tune with yourself and so the question i have for you is how did you start like outside of the physiological um i guess like not triggers but the the signs like who who were you asking if anyone to help you along that um along that process of you getting to know yourself better. And then like, if you you might not have an answer for this, but like, what were some monumental things that you like took away with you on how to maybe like catch yourself when you're thinking about a certain thing and like really be reflective in those moments?
1: Yeah, great question. I'm gonna give a terrible answer. I didn't have anyone (laughs) to, to ask that, or at least I didn't vibe with the people that were in my ear about certain things. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you're asking primarily more around the heart condition time versus now.
0: It could be either, but yes, I I originally was. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So when I was first dealing with this heart condition, the way I found out about it was one Saturday morning, we're doing sprints at the end of practice. And I remember getting up on the blocks to dive in and we're talking maybe 12 yard sprints. Like they're not far at all. It's not even a full length and you would dive in swim to the bulkhead which divides the deep end and the shallow end and it's kind of like almost walking the plank you walk (laughs) the bulkhead to get out um and we were doing this and i hop up on the block and i notice, wow that's so weird my heart rate is like racing like crazy right now i can't seem to catch my breath but whatever i just need to go 12 yards i can do this so pop in dive in get there go all out for 12 yards which I learned was not the the answer I should have, <laughs> the thing I should have done there. Yeah. And I get there and I'm like, whoa, I am even more winded. What is going on? This is the first time this has ever happened. I'm ever experiencing like something like this. I felt like I was having a heart attack. And I don't know, I was 17 at the time. So I thought, well, the solution is hop up on the bulkhead, turn to the left and just walk the 10, 12 feet that I need to walk to get off of the bulkhead and onto the solid ground on the deck. Sure enough, as I'm walking, I start to lose vision, start to lose feeling in my hands and feet. I was like, this is super cool. Let's keep (laughs) walking, keep walking. Like you just need to go in a straight line. Well, I don't know if you ever tried to walk in a straight line with your eyes closed. It's really challenging. I came this close. I was so close to making it last Last step, left foot goes into the pool. I face plant down onto the pool deck. And then I immediately snap back to it. Like nothing happened. And all my teammates, my coaches are looking at her like, dude, are you okay? just like a nasty spill. So you guys didn't see that? Like, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't feel my hands. My feet is wild. And they're like, it sounds like you're just exhausted at the end of a two hour. It was like a three hour practice. I was like, no, something's not right. Thankfully, my dad was there and he was like, all right, we're going to take you to the hospital. We're going to take you to the ER, run some tests just to make sure everything's fine. And it was so frustrating because they didn't find anything. All my EKGs came back normal, but everything was normal. And I was like, I promise like something was wrong. Something was weird. So I started, that sent me down this cycle of starting to go see all of the top um, specialists in the DC area. I mean, those familiar like DC area has phenomenal um, mm-hmm. healthcare. I remember going to the first guy I saw was over at GW, and he just looked at me and goes, "Well, if this only happens when you're swimming," because at this point it now happened like three or four times. He's like, "If this only happens with your swimming, just stop swimming." Like, pretty simple solution. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you don't know me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like
0: not simple.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like that's telling me to just stop being, you know, someone who's depressed, just stop being depressed and life will yeah. get better. Yeah, that's so, not the
0: answer that you can live with. So <laughs> yeah.
1: So I was like, all right. And then he's like, or you can take this medication, it will limit your max heart rate. And then you again, you know, in theory, wouldn't have to worry about it. I was like, yeah, I don't like that answer either. And even my mom was <laughs> like, nope, we're not going, we don't like that guy. We're going to keep exploring. So yeah. a lot of it was just became my own trial and error. I for better or for worse, didn't really trust the specialists because I would go and do these stress tests and I would smash them out of the park. Like also the stress tests, like treadmills and these cardiologist offices were designed for like 70 year olds, 80 year olds to run on, not a (laughs) right in shape 17 year old that I was an endurance athlete. So I could run at a fast pace for days. They're like, all right, you're gonna break our treadmill. We're gonna like have to shut this thing down.
0: <laughs> yeah, this isn't anything. working.
1: Yeah, but what was interesting, pre like Whoop didn't exist back then, heart rate monitors weren't necessarily a thing. I got to go to high school for 30 days with this like pager looking device that was wow. a 24-7 EKG monitor. So I had electrodes on both my chest and my side of my ribs constantly getting a signal of what's going on with my heart. I look back on it like man, for someone who I always struggled with confidence outside of the pool, I talk about it with my some of my teammates or my old teammates now. Like dude, 17-year-old me, I was the most confident person in the world on the pool deck. Anywhere mm-hmm. else, forget about it. I wouldn't dream of talking on a podcast or talk on social media. So for 17-year-old me to go through high school with quite literally wires dangling off of my body the whole day was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. I already felt uncomfortable in my own skin. And now I'm like, oh, my God, people are going to be staring at me and wondering why there's what like
0: wires. What have, yeah. yeah. What
1: does he have hooked up to him? And I just make up some story. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like a really good athlete. So <laughs> They're they're doing. Yeah, some
0: props to you. Yeah. I, yeah, you're like I. They have to see why I'm so good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. you spin the story, uh, and so yeah. After a number of years of kind of dealing with that and looking for answers, a lot of it just became. I developed this awareness because I had no other choice. I started to notice. Oh, when I find out my grandma is diagnosed with cancer. I become way more likely to have a heart episode. So I would just start to track these things. And obviously you can't get proactive with that, right? You can't call up your grandma and say, Hey, grandma, just like, don't get that diagnosis or just don't tell me. You look for then other ways of, okay, well, you're going to handle stressors. How do you handle it? What are some other outlets that I can start to create? And it wasn't, honestly, I did a terrible job of creating other outlets outside of swimming until swimming was done, but that was eventually what helped me as I started to realize these things happened. There was also a period I, ironically, I talked earlier about alcohol being a substance that I really abused post-grad when I was trying to solve and find answers. Ironically, my freshman year of college, I wasn't allowed to drink at all because Mm. of the heart condition. And I learned, okay, well, when you drink, not just as your mind hung over, your body's hung over as well. And that would be a trigger for me in being more likely to experience a hard episode. So I cut that out, which made it a little bit easier for me to then cut it out a year and a half ago when I decided, you know, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. I just want to, I'm sober curious. I'm going to go sober for 30 days and just see what happens. And then here we are a little over a year and a half later. It's like okay cool like we're just gonna keep seeing what happens day by day at this point so I, I think I answered your question there I know I went <laughs> down some rabbit holes and told some stories but yeah, I love it you did webster. yes
0: yeah yeah my original question was all about how like you find that um, hyper awareness like in yourself so you did uh, and I love the stories along the way as well um, you had said to like the well, first let me pause and share. I, I love that you're so vulnerable about your, not mechanism, your, I guess, um, willingness to lean on alcohol for like that numbness or that, um, I guess that like wall, that barrier. Cause mm-hmm. I think, and it's interesting that you say this is, you'll see like the, the, love of psychology comes out and that where I'm like, I wonder, because if you couldn't drink, like you were denied that if you were then like swinging the other way and like being like rebellious or um, not even rebellious, but like wanting to experiment more with alcohol. Cause now you, it sounds like you kind of could cause freshman year you weren't allowed to drink. Um, cause I think that, that also like just how alcohol is pitched in society. I know for like myself, I, I, like always thought like alcohol is a terrible thing, a bad thing. Like, and then if you start to use it, then you're like, ah, like you start drinking, you're like, this is fun. Yeah. Like what's, what's the issue here, but it's a very slippery slope, obviously. And if you have a lot of other stressors and a lot of other things going on, it can just be like, oh, cut, cut loose and relax and like, forget maybe about those stressors. And that's easier than, confronting them sometimes. Um, so I want to pause and say, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it's a very brave thing to do. Um, and I think we just need more of it. So I want to, I want to give you that before I pose my next question. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, and I, I appreciate you. So I want to make sure that is crystal clear. Um, but with, so like with everything that you've learned from your heart arrhythmia and your like your journey in being really confident on the deck and then going into like transitioning out of athletics, having to find your confidence in other spots, what would you say? Like, what do if, what would you say to like someone who is like a 17 year old going through something similar of where like, where could? Where do you wish you have ter- you like would have turned or would have known um, at like that juncture in your life where you're facing like so much um, stimuli or like unknown? It's mm. a great question. I'm just I'm throwing them all at you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I love it. I think. You know. If, I mean, I don't want to say if I could do it all over again,
0: mm-hmm. but if I
1: could share something from my experience that would help a 17-year-old that's listening to this it would be to test the waters in multiple areas to not be afraid to try certain things but also understand what that doesn't mean it doesn't mean you have to go start sharing your life totally publicly on social media yeah. it doesn't mean you have to go skydiving or something so far out of your comfort zone that it gives you anxiety what that means is you just get to try something a little bit scary to you. Mm -hmm. And scary is relative to everyone a little bit differently. And that's what I've learned is, you know, if I can do something maybe once a week, that scares me a little bit. I can go try something. All that's doing is it's adding to my confidence. It's adding to where my comfort zone is. And it allows me to then operate in a different space allows me to play the way that I want to play Mm -hmm. it's like I I give the my perfect example go listen to my podcast episode one
0: this Friday will
1: be episode like 179 I believe who's counting (laughs) you know it's a very different Corey that shows up on episode one versus 179 and what I will say in my experience of going on almost three years of podcasting is my audience hasn't blown up. I don't have thousands and thousands of people that listen. i got a few hundred that listen to every episode, and I love them. I'm mm-hmm. really grateful for them. Some of them have been there from the very beginning. And I'm really grateful for those people because I've listened to those first few episodes. And <laughs> oh, they, boy. <laughs> they're tough. They're tough to get through. I was stumbling mm-hmm. through a lot of words. I wasn't confident. I didn't really fully believe that I could be behind a microphone. And that's, that's something that I've had to work through. Honestly, I looked at how I was as a leader in the pool. I was always a lead by example, lead by action. And I didn't give the rah-rah pump up speeches. I was a two-year captain, both in college and in high school. I didn't give up pump up speeches. I would, I was so much more comfortable being like, Hey, hold my, hold my Gatorade. I'm going to go do my, (laughs) do my thing. Let that pump you up and inspire you. And so it was interesting diving into podcasting to change that. And when I found my sweet spot, you asked earlier about content. That's why I love voiceovers mm. because it allow- that to me is super easy because that plays to my strengths. It allows me to show you what I'm talking about through my actions of a video that's, un- that's sometimes unrelated to what I'm actually vocalizing. <laughs> And it allows me to be a little bit more articulate with my thoughts afterwards. It's not live on camera. Let's go right now type deal. Right. That's been super helpful. But I would say that to someone who is looking to get a little more, more confident to step out of their comfort zone, identify what is scary to them and just what's that first step? How can you make that first step easy and then just do it and do it consistently the more boldly you can act consistently, you're going to be golden.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's actually extremely relevant to my life, which is going to seem like it's almost placed <laughs> that that is your advice. Because I was just listening to uh, the Huberman Lab mm-hmm. podcast and he had on, I believe it was Dr. Patrick, um, but she was like talking about just like from a cellular uh, biology level, like microbiome of like the importance of intermediately challenging yourself. And so like cold shock, um, like heat or cold exposure, like heat exposure, like trigger, like certain proteins in your body that are really good Mm -hmm. for healing. And so that fits extreme. I was literally yesterday that I was on a walk listening to that podcast. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Like I've never thought about, and it goes back to that, um, that stress, like that, that middle ground of, doesn't have to be like some extreme venture. It can literally just be like, Oh, sending a text to someone and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about you or like journaling three things that you're grateful for, or like trying to drink more water, any like healthy habit that you can like grow on and just really like nail down and be like proud of yourself for it. And like, even if it doesn't go well, right. Like maybe you'll embarrass yourself or who knows, like hopefully it's lower hanging fruit so that it isn't, catastrophic if something were to go wrong or, you know, you don't get the outcome that you're planning for with putting yourself out there. But I think that's, um, that's a very special message and I don't think it can be said enough times. And even while you were speaking, I have one final question for you. Um, but you were saying like how, from the first episode of your podcast to now, like it's changed and you've become more confident. Do you think there's like, um, would you, could you categorize like one point in that you thought that happened or like, was it more just a reflection as a whole in that you like, now you feel confident behind it. I'm getting at like imposter syndrome a little bit. If you, if you had struggled with that being like, you know, you're young and you would mentioned like wanting to, compare yourself to like other coaches and, and really show your place. And so like, I'm curious if imposter syndrome had played a role in there.
1: Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, for the podcast, I want to say, I think it was like the second or third episode. I had reached out to a guy from my hometown who happened to play in the NFL for five years. Now he's a good friend of mine. His name is Lonnie Jenkins great dude shout he's him doing, out
0: hello yeah
1: he, he's doing a lot of great stuff in the former athlete transition space as well so we've become almost <laughs> colleagues in this sense but back then I was I was terrified I was 23 or so and I just shot him a Facebook message being like hey we're from the same hometown I started this podcast this is what it's about uh would you sit down with me and he said yes and I was like oh my god this just got real
0: yeah I <laughs> think he said yes
1: <laughs> now what I do and how do I sit? And it's tough. It's not perfect, right? But when you're sitting down in the chair across from someone that you're a fan of, that you've admired on online or in person or whatever, it can be really tough to have just a, a normal conversation. So what I did in the past was I, would, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, I totally dropped the ball and I didn't allow for conversation to flow I would do all my prep work and I would have all the questions prepped, and I'd say 20 questions, and I want to say it was probably around somewhere in the like episode 50 or so. I think it was episode 50 actually. Dan Churchill, who's a, a great guy, uh, he came on the show. And we were having so many internet questions or um, technicality issues that we decided. I was like, for the sake of time, I have to ditch the questions that I had prepped. I had to just meet Dan where he was at. and We just rolled and joked about it of, oh man, internet's crappy. Like what's going on? And it became a really, really good episode. And then I had another instance where I was just mismanaged my own time. I didn't have time to prep. I just went in blind and was like, we're just going to see where the conversation goes. (laughs) Right. the, The person was like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and that was where it really changed for me. But I think for me, when I was struggling to identify as a podcaster and really own that role, and I was feeling that imposter syndrome, I coped with that by doing over-the-top prep work of reading all of the bios and all the different articles and other, listening to all the other podcasts that that person had been on so that I could ask a new question that they hadn't been asked before. And what I found was after a while, I was leaning on that preparation Mm -hmm. and letting my preparation suffocate my actual performance. I was over-preparing. So once I could really, 50 episodes in was when I really started to feel like, you know, I'm not just another person with a podcast. Like I'm a podcaster. I'm a Mm -hmm. good host. I'm going to have a great conversation with this person. I could sit down. And let the conversation flow and now I sit down with people I'm like they're like so what do you want to talk about or like any idea of where this is going to go I go wherever oh. you take it
0: <laughs> you're like a host now you're like a host um we're streaming. they're like what do you what do you want to talk about you're like ah just let's go <laughs> like yeah uh...
1: <laughs> I had um I had someone the other day a guest I won't, won't name them they were like can we hop on a, a pre-production call to get a general idea of like where to go. Oh man. I I said, sure. I was like, I don't (laughs) normally do this, but sure. Cause I could then recognize where they were probably at in their guest Mm -hmm. experience as a, on podcasts. And they, I wanted to meet them where they're at and give them what they needed to, to be comfortable. I said, yeah, this is kind of a general idea of where I want this to go, but just so you know, this is my host style and it might go totally differently. And I just, I want you to know there's no pressure. It's just you and I we're having a cup of coffee and someone happens to be tuned in to their headphones listening.
0: Yeah. They're yeah, they're just joining. One thing I always love about saying like podcasting, like whether I'm the listener or the host or guest or anything, is like it's like you're having a conversation, but you're just including other people that aren't physically there with you. If um like obviously if you're the listener, you're the one that's not there like physically, but um, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a great point of view. And I, I like that you kind of walk through like the specific moment where you were kind of forced, it sounds like to be like, oh, we're just going to roll with it. Right. Like with, I believe you said, David, um, that guess you had of um, like technical issues, you're just going to have to roll with the punches, run with them. So um, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And it sounds too like I think in the beginning, I at least relate. And my podcast is a little bit younger than yours uh, since you're three years in, but (laughs) I haven't even hit episode 50 yet, but I can even just see like the comparison between episode Mm -hmm. one. Like I was kind of the same way, like over preparing or making sure that I have like a vision in my mind. And then now I'm like, okay, I trust myself and the guest that I'm having on the podcast to like carry that conversation. And so of course, like you have an idea, but I was finding when I was over prepping that I was exhausting myself. And so what I would do is like, of course, spend all this time into going into the prep and then get to the episode, be like super excited to talk to that person. And then I'd be like, Oh my God, now I have to edit the thing and like, I am not a like production for me, it is literally just my will, whatever, like I say, I'm Mm. like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. Like I don't have any professional credit in it whatsoever, no experience. And so it's just me, you know, going off of my own opinion, which maybe isn't great. But that being said, I recognize like, I would put like so much into it that when it finally came time to Publish the episode. It took me so much longer, and I it wasn't as efficient as a process because it wasn't as streamlined, and because I already you know dumped in all this time, and I didn't allot it equally to like each stage of the produ- of the um, production timeline. So I found like I was really giving like a lot on the front end, but then I wasn't able to keep myself account or hold myself accountable to making sure that I am more consistent rather than like chaotic in where my time went.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think one of the, the easiest traps to fall into, whether it be podcasting, whether it be you want to get become a creator, like social media, we tend to get inspired by the big, the big league people, right? Mm-hmm. If we're talking about podcasting, like the Lewis Howes and the Rich Rolls and the Jay Shettys of the world, they have fantastic podcasts. And it can be very dangerous when we're starting off our podcast to think that our episode one (laughs) will be like the current production level of Retrol. I mean, I can't even now I'm still like, man, I I view myself on par with them, but I also have to give myself some grace of they have teams, full teams doing Mm -hmm. their podcast production. They got a video guy. They got an audio guy. They got a graphics guy. They got they're got social promotion. media. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> they got everything. I don't. It's me. Mm-hmm. It's me right now. So I got to be really protective of where do I want to go? And one of the things that I found, I did this in social media as well. When I first started shifting what I use my platform for and sharing, I looked at the people that inspired me in these accounts that I was like, oh, I want to model my stuff after them a little bit and take a bit of their flavor and create my own. And instead of looking at what they were currently doing, what I did was reverse engineered and I went way back. I scrolled all the way back through timelines and saw first couple posts. What were they doing? What, Mm. what worked for them? What didn't work for them? Okay, cool. That's a much more realistic comparison (laughs) than it is for me to look at. Here I am at the, you know, at the time I started trying to do this with a few hundred followers and I'm comparing myself with someone with half a million or a million plus, like, what am I doing?
0: Yeah. How does that math make sense? Yeah. It
1: doesn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, it's, it's like, you're an age group rower or swimmer, and you're comparing yourself to an Olympian. It mm-hmm. It's not a fair fight. Yeah. So again, meeting yourself where you're at, giving yourself grace, and then allowing you from that, to create the space, your playground to go out and do the thing and just play with the feelings and the emotions that come up, the content that you create and put out there because it is really scary, but notice that and try to push the envelope a little bit more each time. I finally feel like in the past few months, that I'm just finding my true voice on social and mm. willing to push the envelope a little bit. I had a video the other day where I threw Jay Shetty's book in the trash, and that was the intro (laughs) to the video. And I said, self-help is bullshit. Threw it in the trash. I never would have imagined myself doing that. You look back at early content of me, and I'm speaking to the camera, speaking, quote unquote, to the camera. I'm reading off of a whiteboard that I wrote down (laughs) the 30-second thing that I wanted to say because, I, again, I wanted to sound like I knew what I was doing. I was trying to deal with my imposter syndrome that way rather than just creating and having fun with it. TikTok has been like the best thing for me the
0: past few months.
1: <laughs> because it, no one knew, no one knew from Instagram that I had a TikTok for the longest time. So it became my playground, my my testing ground of sorts. Where I could just create from whatever I was feeling inspired to talk about, put it out there. And then my cheat code for anyone is take whatever is the best performing thing on TikTok Take the watermark off that and throw it onto Instagram. Get it mm-hmm. the same day, or the next day, whatever, it doesn't matter. And all of a sudden, now you've streamlined your content and it's so much easier to show up, quote unquote, on all the platforms. You yeah. just choose one that you're the most comfortable being yourself on, show up on that consistently, use that as your playground. And whatever you have the most fun with, take it and put it on the other things
0: hmm That's a, I think that's a beautiful note to end this episode on of just like find what speaks to you and stick with that. Like experiment, you know, put yourself out there, but as soon as you start to see what you are gravitating towards with like, whether it's content creation or anything else, stick to it. Cause that's one, the thing that you'll enjoy, right? Like you'll keep coming back to it. If you're actually enjoying it and you're not doing it because you think it's something you mm-hmm. have to do. Um, and then see where that takes you, you know? And if it, you know, learn from other people, pull in flavorings, like you said, I love that, um, that little analogy but this has been so incredible, Corey. I feel like we could keep talking like forever. forever. Let's um, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We just won't let the episode end, but seriously, this has been so amazing. I was so happy that um, you were able to make the time and willing to make the time because it is extremely important to me that I get to meet awesome people too, like you.
1: Well, thank you. Seriously, thank you for just providing the space and that's all I can ever ask for is just a space to share my heart, my what's on my mind. And I appreciate you allowing me to do just that today. So thank you.
0: Thank you all for listening and dedicating some of your time to listening to these conversations and being an external part of that conversation. I hope you take away with each episode maybe some new perspectives and some ways to reflect about how what we talk about pertains to your life and your own interests and goals.